0: Okay, um, we're starting uh, about right now since a lot of the attendees are really very excited to hear from our panelists. So first, first of all, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Magandang hapon, kanayon, magandang hapon sa lahat. I am Laya Bukirin. Welcome to Nayong Pilipino Foundations, Umpukan Sanayon: No Object Unturned. So we are celebrating not just the Museums and Galleries Month, but also the 23rd year of Indigenous Peoples' Rights Act or IPRA with a theme, Correcting Historical Injustices for Indigenous Peoples' Rights and Welfare. So how timely. Uh, that we have this Umpukan right now. yung Pilipino is a GOCC that aims to be inclusive and participatory in the implementation of our programs. So that's the reason why we are gathered here like this, to seek recommendations and suggestions on our permanent collection for the museum that we intend to have. So the Nayung Filipina Foundation has a collection of around uh, 2,762 artifacts as of this time that we're going through all the, the inventories once again. So they were previously housed in the Philippine Museum of, of Ethnology. It was part of the old Nayung Filipina Park in Pasay. And when the park was relocated to Clark around 2007, the collection was moved to the new location with most of the artifacts going into storage because of lack of space. Uh, the textile collection was briefly put on display at the Nayong Filipino Clark. Uh, just a bit of the story, our collection story. You know, so a lot of you know, especially if you work in the museum field or in the field of anthropology, archeology, span um, most of you know that under the authority of the Presidential Assistant for National Minorities, or the Panamin, the Museum of Philippine Traditional Culture was inaugurated sometime in 1971, with an aim to present, at that time, uh, the so-called culture heritage and lifestyle of national minorities. Of course, the Filipino Foundation's history itself goes a lot earlier, a bit earlier than that, a bit earlier than 1971. So anyway, after Panamin's dissolution, the museum was renamed to the Philippine Museum of Ethnology. And um, much later, the artifacts of the Nayong Pilipino collection were recently inventoried by the Nayong Pilipino Foundation Museum staff sometime in 2019. Um, My colleague later can tell you more about how many inventories have been done. Anyway, prior to this last and most recent inventory, uh, the inventory was also an inventory was also conducted last June twenty eighteen by students of the Department of the Behavioral Sciences of the University of the Philippines in Manila, and before that, a partial inventory of around one thousand artifacts was done in twenty sixteen, supervised by the National Museum. So, from the initial assessment of the NPF collection, there seems to be a distinct lack of information on the cultural the sources of these artifacts. Um, we also need more information on the vernacular nomenclature acquisition details in the current inventories. From the information that we have, an estimated 80% of the collection is documented to have come from um, communities in Mindanao. No? So we have Maranao, Tausug, Yakan, Subanen, Bilan, Magindanao, Mandaya, Mansaka, Talaandik, Igaonon, Sama, Manobo, and um, several other communities uh, from the north like Bontok, Apayao, Ifugao, etc. documented in the inventories. Um, before we proceed any further and dive deep into the discussion, I would like to request our Executive Director, Attorney K. Malilong Isberto, to officially welcome our attendees and panelists.
1: Hi, good afternoon Everyone, Uh, we at Nayong Pilipino are very happy to have you with us for this round of Umpukan. So as you know, we hope to be able to build our park in Paranaque City. And this collection will be among the things that we will find in that future park. So Nayong Pilipino is a government corporation created in 1972, a creature of martial law. And it has the mandate to conduct research in social science and the humanities. Uh, It aspires to be a recognized hub for research, innovation, and training on cultural heritage. So as an agency tasked to do research, we have a lot of questions. And finding answers to these questions is something that we hope to do today. We hope that today's activity will be a catalyst for the creation of a strategic roadmap for safeguarding heritage, especially the heritage of Indigenous peoples and cultural communities. So many things have changed since the Nayong Filipino collection was acquired. Some practices that were acceptable or not questioned at that time are probably considered um, unethical today. So even the definition of a museum is now the subject of intense debate among practitioners. Also, we now have a 23-year-old Indigenous Peoples' Rights Act a law described by the Supreme Court as being enacted for the purpose of correcting historical injustices. This law emphasizes cultural integrity and the right to self-determination of Indigenous peoples and Indigenous cultural communities. It talks about free, prior, and informed consent. So it's probably not um, wrong to ask if this law had been in place at the time the Nayong Pilipino Collection was being built what procedure would have been followed? And then given that it's now 2020 and we have this um, duty under the constitution and under the IPRA to take take better care of uh, indigenous heritage, what do we do about the Nayong Filipino collection? We know that as a government agency, we have a duty to protect, uh, promote, and safeguard heritage. We also know that we have a long way to go before we can say that we are successful in doing so. The list of challenges uh, is a long one, and it's found in chapter seven of the Philippine Development Plan. Uh, So this afternoon, uh, we hope that it will bring us closer to success. And I'd like to thank uh, all our panelists and our viewers for being here today. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much for that, Attorney Kay, for that warm welcome. I would also like to introduce my colleagues on board here at the Nayong Pilipino Foundation. So they are Patricia Panganiban. She is our materials conservation specialist, and she officially heads the NPF Virtual Museum Project. We also have on board, Kate Lim, Kate uh, specializes in archaeology, she is also um, in Tuklas Pilipinas, and she heads the Cultural Leadership Institute of the Nayong Pilipino Foundation. I'd also like to introduce Ian Mejia. He uh, he is on top of programs in Nayong Pilipino Clark, where most of our our objects are, our permanent collection are. So he is supervising the manpower, the groundwork that our staff um, does on site. And uh, we also have on board our project officers helping us in the implementation of uh, the projects and helping us um, do research and and move forward with our multi-sectoral consultations. So this afternoon, we are also honored to have guests from Ateneo Davao, Ayala Museum, the Cebu City Cultural and, uh, and Historical Commission, uh, the UP Deliman College of Music, and of course, the International Council of uh, Museums uh, in the Philippines and the UP Department of Anthropology. So let me just introduce our esteemed guests for them to greet the audience. Uh, first, we have uh, Romulo Vinci Buesa. Uh, He is the director of the Ateneo Internationalization for Mindanao, or AIM office, uh, from the Ateneo Davao University. Um, Vinci is currently the assistant to the president for external affairs. Um, He's also the corporate secretary of the Ateneo de Davao University. He serves as the Madaris volunteer program of the Catholic Educational Association of the Philippines as its lead coordinator. So, ladies and gentlemen, and a virtual applause for Vinci Cueza We also have on board Marinella Mina or Tenten Mina. Uh, she is the associate curator of the Ayala Museum. Uh, I saw um, guests from the Ayala Museum registering for Umpukan Sanayan. So thank you very much for supporting us. Um, Marinella Mina is an associate curator and she specializes in tradeware ceramics and indigenous Philippine textiles. She obtained her BFA in Arts Management from the Ateneo de Manila University and she's currently working on her Master's in Archaeology at the UP Diliman Archaeological Studies Program. So mga kanayon, we welcome Marinella Mina. We also have uh, Dr. Jose Semblante Buenconsejo. He is a Professor of Musicology from the University of the Philippines College of Music. Uh, he has researched on the Agusan Manoba rituals and has examined them from a particular historical point of view on the materiality of communication. So he has a publication called Songs and Gifts at the Frontier, Persons and Exchange, uh, published by Routledge in 2002. He also published an inaugural essay on the cultural history of late 19th century Ilustrado piano music in Philippine modernities uh, from the YouTube Press in 2017. And it won the best book in the social sciences in 2018, given by the Philippine National Book Development Board. Um, Dr. Buen is an alumnus of the University of the Philippines uh, from musicology. Uh, He also took his masters at the University of Hawaii in ethnomusicology and he earned his Ph.D. in the Anthropology of Music from the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Consejo was Dean of the UP College of Music um, from 2010 to 2017 and is currently the Liaison Officer of the International Council of Traditional Music. It's a pleasure to learn from you once again, Dr. Buenconsejo. Uh, we also have on board, among our panelists, uh, Dr. Jocelyn Guerra. Uh, Dr. Gera is a graduate of AB Sociology Anthropology and MA Anthropology from the University of San Carlos, Cebu. Dr. Gera received her doctorate in archaeology from the University of Prehistory and Early History at Hamburg University in Germany. She is currently engaged with the Subbu Chinese Heritage Museum in Cebu City as curator and consultant. Dr. Gera also serves as a consultant on tourism development of the city of Mandawe as well as a commissioner for the Cebu City Cultural and Historical Commission. She is an advocate for heritage conservation by popularizing museums and heritage to the public through cultural programs across sectors. And she believes in partnership with communities uh, to plan for museum and heritage narratives and tourism development. Uh, We would very much uh, want to have your inputs. Um, It's it's the same thing that Nayan wants for its programs as well. So let's give a warm welcome and virtual applause to Dr. Jocelyn Guerra, everyone. Last but not the least, we have Dr. Nestor Castro, Professor of Anthropology at the University of Philippines, Diliman. So he specializes in cultural anthropology. His research interests include ethnicity and indigenous people's issues, environmental and social impact assessment, and Cultural Heritage Management. His works have been published in notable journals such as uh, New Asian Visions, Colloquium, The New Horizon of Contemporary Sociological Theory, Philippine Social Sciences Review, Kasarin Lan, and Lehman Review. Dr. Castro did field research in several indigenous communities in the Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, Myanmar, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, Thailand, and Vietnam. Dr. Castro's thesis was on the communist movement in the Cordillera region and his PhD dissertation was on the politics of ethnic identity in Kalinga. He served as chair of the anthropology department, associate dean of the colleges of social sciences and philosophy at the CSSP and vice chancellor for community um, community affairs of UP Diliman. And he also served as a vice chairman of Ugnayang Pagaghamtao uh, UGAT, no, and Vice Chairman of the National Research Council of the Philippines Social Sciences Division and Southeast Asian Representative of the International Commission for Rights of Aboriginal Peoples. Currently, he is President of the International Federation of Social Sciences Organization and the International Council of Museums. So a warm welcome to Dr. Nestor Castro. It's an honor and privilege to have you, sir. At this point, we will now start the discussion. And with me are members of the NPF team: Patricia Panganiban, Kate Lim, and Ian Mejia. So I'd like to remind everyone, the attendees, uh, if you have any question, you can use the Q and A uh, box to type in your questions. Uh, our project officers will assist you if there are questions that they can answer based on our the fact sheets that we have, and. Um, we will, you can also ask questions directed to particular panelists that we have on board this afternoon from among our experts. And we'll do our best uh, to answer the questions that you have for NPF as well. So um, awesome everyone, let's begin with the questions that we have for our panelists. So for the first question, um, I'd, I'd like to invite the panelists to give our inputs uh, regarding uh, how institutions like the Nayong Pilipino Foundation can confront the history of our permanent collection and also raise issues on ownership, rights, and ethics. So, uh, to begin the round table, um, can we ask uh, any one of the panelists to give their inputs? Can we have, um, just to do the rounds, can we start with Vinci Buesa?
2: Hapon sa tanaan. Just um, na aga. It's a real um, pleasure to be here and it's an honor to be among the panelists. So I think I'll, I'll really start with um, the central function first of museums and similar institutions like the Nayong Pilipino Foundation with, um, with collections. So um, heritage preservation and interpretation that those are the central functions of museums. And these functions, obviously, are the most public dimensions of museum practice. However, um, certainly, um, the pa- in recent years, you know, um, Indigenous peoples and many advocates have been raising the alarm about the legitimate limitations of museum display as a means of expressing and preserving culture. Um, They would say that culture is a living process, and I agree. Culture is a living process that incorporates both continuity, but also change. Culture changes. It it transforms. And these advocates actually are saying that museums have become cemeteries of objects, merely a storage. So if you ask indigenous peoples, um, they would say that culture is a living dynamic ever-changing, and yet ever-constant thing. It is a story, a song, a dance, performance, and it's never a dead thing. And sometimes um, they're represented in the form of an artifact, and these artifacts, um, unfortunately, are just looked at through class. The urgent need now is to give emphasis on the preservation of the context. So it's very important that I think the Nayong Pilipino Foundation should... Um, preserve the context and the associated activities, not just the object itself. And this involves um, re-socialization, the resocialization of objects. So I'm not just talking about repatriation of these objects, no, if that is ever in the horizon of the Nayang Filipino Foundation. Um, I'm talking about the resocialization of objects, their return to the place of origin, where the intangible aspects of heritage provide the meaning and where the objects themselves may stimulate um, renewed activities of the intangible aspects of the culture. So this perspective emphasizes the importance of ceremonial objects for intergenerational knowledge transmission. That's very important, especially for Indigenous communities, the intergenerational knowledge transmission and for preserving and renewing the intangible aspects of this heritage. if ever there is um, repatriation that the Nayong Filipina Foundation will be doing in the future, it is not just the objects that are being returned, hopefully, but um, we are also returning the means to transfer and perpetuate Indigenous knowledge. The challenge that the Nayong Filipina Foundation would have to face is how to facilitate the preservation of objects within the context of their broader social and cultural significance and how to develop strategies that offer the best protection and utilization of these resources to the benefit of all humankind. This involves serious consideration of why we preserve things and for whom. These are questions that the NAIM Filipino Foundation might have to ask themselves. It requires museum staff to look beyond their institutions and the local community and recognize the values and needs of the source communities of where these artifacts, these objects have been taken. And to consider the contribution that museums can make to the society as a whole, and not just to the museum visitors, uh, may it be physical museum or virtual museum, and also the academic community. Museums can play a new role in supporting and contributing to the processes of cultural renewal. There are communities, especially here in Mindanao, um, who are doing this. who are undertaking the process of cultural renewal, but also to healing and reconciliation across peoples and generations. So my four recommendations um, for the Nine Filipino Foundation to confront this shadowy history of the permanent collection would be, uh, number one is to to act as a supporting actor in initiatives for reconciliation and healing, especially here in Mindanao, um, there are now, with the passing of the Bangsamoro Organic Law, there is now a Bangsamoro government. There are initiatives for reconciliation and healing. There is now a commission for transitional justice and um, reconciliation. The Nying Filipino Foundation can take the supporting um, take the supporting role. Um, that the return of objects, that it, if the possi- if if it's possible for the Nying Filipino Foundation to return these objects, that could be. Um, that could have a big impact for communities where these objects were taken. And usually, most often, these communities have been victims of systemic oppression in the past uh, and still happening actually here in Mindanao. So the return of objects and the process that comes with it can help in the healing of peoples here in Mindanao. The second um, thing would be if the National, the Nayang Filipino Foundation, if it's possible to be the convener for dialogue, such as this, the umpukan, no? to continue these um, spaces where people can dialogue, but not just in the level of experts or the level of panelists, but perhaps, and it's more important to convene people in the ground, um, to listen to the stories of the people. You know? And the third thing is would be for the Nayong Filipino Foundation to be an enabler for research. There are, six, there are still so much things that need to be um, researched, especially the collection of the Nayong Filipino. Um, to be an enabler means um, if you have the money, then fund the research, but also to collaborate with the academe for, for researches. The university is University uh, is uh, willing to help the Nayang Filipino Foundation for, for this project. And then the fourth one, um, I think, would would help um, the Nayang Filipino Foundation to confront its history would be to act as a lead advocate for the resocialization of some of these wrongfully taken objects, no? the re-socialization. And later on, I'll talk about, um, especially when we go to the question about the virtual museums on specific things that the Nying Filipina Foundation can do. So going back to the central function of the museum as, um, as assisting in heritage preservation, actually the return of objects wrongfully taken can assist Indigenous peoples who are continuing or renewing their values and practices essential to their cultural and ceremonial life then the act of returning objects to their original communities is surely the ultimate form of heritage and cultural preservation. That's it for me. Wonderful, wonderful.
0: Thank you very much for these insights, Vinci. I am getting keywords like the Nayong Filipino as supporting actor for reconciliation, convener, enabler. I really like the idea of collaborating more with academe and more communities. I hope I can count on Ateneo de Davao University and we can have more collaborations together. And Nayong Filipino definitely, definitely as a lead advocate and supporting actor for reconciliation. Yes, I think it's about time. And you also brought another keyword uh, a while back, the issue on repatriation. Um, This is the the Nayang Pilipina Foundation as a supporting actor. Maybe we can also think as as panelists, among panelists and attendees, uh, what do we do uh, concerning these concerns on repatriation? Um, A few, several weeks ago, we had another consultation uh, with, uh, carinho, and we talked about the issue of repatriation and the concern regarding some of these objects finding their way back in the market in case it happens now, so let's hold that thought a bit and perhaps we can ask also the insights of our other panelists can we have insights from uh, Tenten Mina
3: Okay, Um, so first of all, uh, thank you to Nine Filipino for organizing this and I'm very honored to be part of this panel. Um, Now regarding your questions of uh, the history of the collection, I think that it's, um, well, my perspective here is really more on provenance studies related. Um, And I think it's about looking at museums as long-term institutions of memory, not as repositories of just objects. Um, It's also really part of the duties of a museum to really retain all information with regards to objects. And with regards to the provenance of uh, these collections, that's not just referring to um, a list of names um, where the objects were sourced, but even the context of who these people were, um, where were they coming from? Were they dealers? Were they artists? Were they the, the craftsmen themselves? Um, what was the context of the uh, entrustment of the collection before it finally found its way into the institution? And this is a very difficult question really to tackle. And it's something which a lot of institutions are are really coming to terms with, um, not just museums, even libraries. Um, There was a talk a few weeks ago where the Royal Geographic Society was also talking about decolonization of maps which were made during the colonial period. Um, uh, But I think that what I'd really like to emphasize here again is that, um, well, I suppose I come from a different stand than Vichy because I I don't think that there is necessarily a need to repatriate objects unless the community, uh, which is directly linked to the materials asks for it? Because the question here is also related to um, the representation of not just the aesthetic values of a people, but their their entire worldview. That is what is manifested really, especially in ethnographic materials. So when we talk about the repatriation of objects, the question is, is it the same community uh, because communities evolve over time, um, a few—I think it was a few months ago—there was also a discussion on a similar topic um, at the uh, Association of Art Museum Curators. And there is a German museum with a large holding of ethnographic materials from uh, Nia in, in Malaysia, and they had actually engaged with the local community asking if they wanted materials repatriated. And the community said, no, we're now Christian. We don't want anything to do with these materials. So another question here is should an institution, what does an institution do with a collection like that when the, the views of the people have also themselves evolved? So I think that one of the primary duties really of institutions is to keep that information, keep all of these contexts for future consideration of other generations. Because what, as we're also seeing, as mentioned by attorney Kaye, is that um, practices and how we view practices evolves over time. So even our own interpretation of uh, what is ethical might be evolving even within just a few years. And I think that's something that's become very evident in many sectors across the globe, um, where even business practices are being questioned on a larger scale. So with that, I'd like to also emphasize that when we do provenance studies for museum collections, we're not, um, first and foremost, this is, um, again, it's a continuous practice um, because the information evolves and second, it's multi-layered, because as multifaceted as objects are in themselves, then there are so many other um, tangents of connection that can also be retraced back to these objects. And it's also a collaborative effort, as Vinci had said. Um, so I think that those are the first three points I'd like to stress uh, for your first question.
0: Thank you for these uh, insights, Tenten, on the need for multi-layered and multifaceted provenance studies uh, that we're trying to do in Nayung, Pilipino at present. Later, before we proceed to uh, the, the other questions, I will be asking Patricia Panganiman to just briefly talk about what we have for the benefit of the public. But before I do that, I'd like to hear from Dr. Gwen Consejo
4: there's there's a concept or a principle that might circumvent the idea of ownership because the ownership that seems to be uh, understood is in the context of private property public private property now there's a concept in economics called public good and a public good is one in which the consumption does not prevent others to consume in other words This concept of public good is similar to the idea of creative commons in which uh, there's a sharing of resources. Um, So uh, this public good also means that uh, one's consumption of an object does not exclude others to consume the same uh, object. So uh, of course, uh, the typical examples of these are clean air or um, a street lamp, you know, which is which lights the street at night. So if there's that public good in our streets, then uh, the benefit should be common to all. So I see heritage more as a public good and not a commodity or a market thing that should circulate with a price tag. But it's something so valuable because it is linked to our Ident- to the identities of the communities, so this idea of public good might not might contradict the idea of repatriation if we look at the museum as a place which simply safeguards this for the benefit of all, and then the museum acting like a midwife to the voices from indigenous people so uh, uh the idea of public good, I'm just beginning to understand what it is. Uh, it, it has something to do with attending meetings in the National Research Council of the Philippines that I'll just continue documenting, you know, and sharing it in public. And so far, the the communities know what I'm doing. I mean, they feel proud about what I'm doing because uh, as much as possible, I do not interpret uh, their traditions. I, I let them speak, you know. I, I, I'm just sort of... Um, a medium for all this representation to pass through me. And then I I put them in in public without, but at the same time knowing that it was me who mediated it. So I don't know if the concept of public good might be helpful in, uh, uh, might be a solution to this conundrum of ownership. Um, I'm pretty sure, being a, a G O C C, uh, uh, na yung Pilipino does not really, I mean, owns it in a sense that you know this has been inherited from past practices. But the heritage that that we're talking now is uh, is being interpreted. Uh, by the way, I'm not an expert in heritage studies, but somehow <laughs> uh, I, I just find some logic into like add, uh, our uh, our relationship with this collection, you know, that has been handed us to us. So I think if we consider them as a public good and not a market good, a commercial entity that, you know, uh, that generates profit, of course, in safekeeping them, uh, it's the government uh, giving money to the institution so that uh, these public goods are, are uh, safeguarded, you know? So, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, we should study more about this concept of public good because uh, I think it's similar to the idea of uh, clean air, you know, in which everyone benefits. One, one person ha- uh, breathing clean air does not mean excluding others because others share the same space, you know? So I don't know if heritage, uh, construing heritage as a public good might be a direction to go. Uh, that's my answer to your first question, Dr. Bukirin.
0: Thank you very much for that, uh, Dr. Buen Consejo. Um, Dr. Buen Consejo raised a very important point here, I believe, on the museum as a convergence point, a nexus of voices, and the need to let communities speak, and um, the concept of public good um, in, in, in heritage. Um, would would very well figure in in how we share the resources, the knowledge resources we have. And the Nayong Pilipino Foundation also um, puts a prime importance on inclusivity and participation. And so hearing these voices and and being a uh, supporting actor and nexus would be um, very important points to take for Nayong Pilipino in charting uh, the next steps forward. The Nayong Pilipino Foundation, Dr. Buen Consejo, has a lot, uh, quite a number of musical instruments also uh, that we have in the in the in uh, in storage in Nayong Pilipino Clark. So before we proceed, I'd like also to hear from Dr. Jocelyn Guerra from Cebu. Um,
5: I think a lot has been said. Um, I don't think I have to say much. But however, you know, I'm, I'm just um, prepared my notes, but also looking at... Um, you know, having practiced um, and been with, engaged in museums and uh, public education and including community, um, I have seen that, um, well, number one, the meaning of museums has changed through time. Um, and um, however, what's very strong, I think, in the last, I don't know, I'd say the last 20, 30 years is the uh, the idea of heritage. And um, and uh, people would like to know who they are. And so they uh, one of the Vehicles for this is a museum, uh, so you know. So it um, but uh, museums, uh, but also in the in the context of trying to understand, um, you know, what these collections are, or um, if the museum reflects, let's say, um, the origins of, of a place or a population, then it also looks into the, How was the collection being, um, you know, uh, being Put together, and I think this is something. When when you know when these questions, no, uh, when I saw the questions, I I I thought I should be very honest. I was quite. Um, was this? There's a struggle, no, um, uh, within because um, I'm, I'm. You know, you're confronted with the history of the collection, which um, uh, is um, quite interesting. So um, among this, no. Um, is uh, the collection um, normally uh, ethnographic materials are collected as a result of um, ethnographic research so uh, you'd have a lot of information but in some aspects I believe um, that the collections came from people were asked to come to the plazas and uh, bring the collection so that uh, is uh, one part like to what degree um, is there a document to the collections and apparently there's none If, uh, if you will. But then it also um, looks into in the light of, um, you know, the IPRA or the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, and uh, the UN Convention on Biological Diversity. Um, artifacts are very important um, manifestations, no, of know, um, of a people's aspiration, a people's worldview, a people's, um, you know, um, ability to adapt, um, you know, adaptation to the environment so that brings me uh, to the question you know when you look into ownership and you look into these different uh, treaties and uh, when you look into um the unequal um, you know the if i will if i'd say the um inequality in the collection if you will no? um, sometimes um you know when sometimes people are so trusting and and this is something that is good But on the one hand, um, this becomes um, a very um, uneasy relationship later because what happens when uh, people collect um, or someone comes and collects but then does not bring it to a museum, no? In fact, in my experience working in Leyte before and um, in some parts of Mindanao doing some uh, field work with uh, Bayon Griffin. This is always the problem among indigenous, I think, no, not only indigenous people, but uh, people tend to believe that if you're, you know, if you're, if you tell them that you will be, sorry, Chris, um, if you, okay, if, if you uh, you tell people that you're collecting this for, um, well, government, or you're doing a museum, then they are uh um, very, since they're very excited, you know, to, to, to do that. But I, I see, you know, when I look back into that, um, you know, I, I see that, you know, sometimes Libits think they, their kindness is being exploited. Um, and uh, what happens is um, it is already a story. The narrative is not even the narrative of the people whom you collected this, but it's even the interpretation, you know, of, uh, of that narrative. So who, um, therefore, the the narrative is not really of the people, but but that of whoever is writing about it and uh, based on um, the the insights. No, second is I think I would go back to the first uh, presentation no, of, of being um, the first presenter, Mr. Bueza, um if I, because um, there is now um, the next question is if we want to be uh, if we want to come to terms and address. Um, if you will know um, the sins of the past, um, I, I'm using that in a loose term. Okay, so do But um, what are we going to do um, with it? Are we? Are we? Uh, will this be returned? But then the question is, um, if it's going to be returned, um, will the collection be safe in the hands of uh, the people that you have? Because um, we have seen, um, I've seen a lot of. Um, artifacts that is being uh, bought uh, or traded um, by people who are, you know, they just wanted a basket, for example, can be sold for like a hundred pesos because they need uh, money. So these are the questions. So it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm having really a conflict here. I would like to return it. But the question is, are they ready to, to be able to accept that? Now, the other thing is going back into the context of heritage. The moment you return it to the to the people, you will also be, I, I think, depriving a certain population of the access of this artifact. Okay, so, uh, and this is something that I think Tayo Filipino will really have to look into. Is there a compromise uh, somewhere that can that can be done? Um, and then of course, um, the ethics of collection. You know, there the, the, some of these collections have been. Is already there. Um, I think it's important to just make peace with the past. You cannot change anything with it, but then uh, take care of the collections and 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 put these collections in a context in which everyone will understand, but learn from how these collections were taken from the people that um, that from the people uh, of the community. Now, I think. um, Last is I I see museums as agents of change and development, uh, which is the theme now of this year. And for me, I see museums also as vehicles of cultural understanding. Now, um, will um, how will now how will these collections now uh, be able to uh, help build now um, a wider Philippine context? You know, we're broken up into different ethno linguistic groups, but how are we now going to um, our uh, culture. Um, the you know one aspect of Philippine uh, society's um, spectrum of culture. I think that's um, what I have. Okay, thank you very much for
0: that, Dr. Gera. Dr. Guerra is also raising um, questions on public access in response to uh, the question that we all have on. On the possibility of returning some of the objects to communities or networking further uh, with communities. Um, Just for the benefit of all the attendees here, uh, when Dr. Guerra mentions things like um, uh, the sins of the past, uh, to quote, not the sins of the past, uh, we are referring to some of the findings that we have concerning the history of the collections. So in particular, I would like to cite an article published uh, by the NCCA. It was an article written by Dayang Iraula e. on an account where David Baradas, Dr. David Baradas uh, was asking uh, communities to come to the plaza and bring uh, some of the objects that they have, some of the heirlooms that they have. So that's the, con- uh, that's, that's the context, during the early years of the museum. Uh, before we proceed any further, last but not the least, I would like to hear and learn from Dr. Nestor Castro.
6: Good afternoon, uh, Dr. Laya, and to my co-panelists, as well as to everyone in this Umpukan. Well, I'm happy to find out that the Nayong Filipino Foundation is trying to reflect on its role in society and looking at its own heritage and legacy. But uh, the Nayong Pilipino Foundation has to reckon with its Marcosian legacy, its uh, shaded past. We know very much that uh, the Panamim had many, uh, uh, conducted many uh, activities that we would now consider as unethical. So we have to understand, what was the ideology of Panamin before? Why was it establishing a museum? Why is it collecting artifacts? Of course, we could not uh, do this discussion today. Um, So this will help us understand how were these artifacts taken from the community, Uh, what were bought, Uh, were they paid? And then uh, for donations, for example, where did uh, the donors get their own artifacts? I have seen uh, the inventory of materials that you sent to me. I don't know if that is complete or it's really like that, very uh, incomplete, where we really have the problem of providence. So for example, it would say this is from the Manobo but doesn't say which particular Manobo subgroup or which particular village or from which particular Manobo person. So uh, it's really very problematic because in the past, reflecting on anthropology's own uh, stance in the past, anthropologists in the past tended to look at uh, indigenous communities as, Homogeneous communities, but they're not. So uh, it's it's a it's a uh, uh, an overgeneralization that if you find one artifact in this village, therefore other villages belonging to the same ethnic group will have it. We know that's not necessarily true. So again, uh, we have to look at what were brought into the museum. I don't know if you could still do what were collected by Panamin personnel, but, what, but were not brought into the museum. I have many uh, uh, oral stories from my former professors. I don't know whether they are hearsay or they are truth. Some of them have also worked with Panamin and with Nayong Pilipino before. Wherein they would claim that uh, whatever Manda Elizalde thought as collected material, but this is good for my own personal collection, then that's his. It's not uh, with the Nayong Pilipino uh, Museum. Or whatever Madame Imelda wants, uh, she would also acquire. So there has to be culpability of the Nayong Pilipino in returning to the community and saying what transpired in the past. So this is dealing with the past. Now on returning objects per se, I'm not so sure if that can be done because we don't really know where they are taken from. But um, I know of one model that was done by the Sarawak Museum where they took photographs of their artifacts, went back to the field, and showed these photographs, not the real objects. But then they got a lot of stories from, from the people. Uh, this is in uh, Malaysia. Of course, uh, some would say, yes, that is owned by my grandfather, and uh, government personnel just told my grandfather, I'll borrow it but it was never returned to us. So we have to find out these stories. I fully agree with uh, Dr. Tenten when she said, if communities want them repatriated, then so be it. But if they themselves will say, no, uh, uh, we, we, we cannot take care of it anymore. Uh, let me uh, add on to what Dr. Consejo mentioned about properties. Uh, In my field work among the Kalinga, of course, there would be different types of ownership. So there will be communal or ownership of certain properties, including uh, heirloom objects. There will be family or extended kin ownership, but there will also be personal properties. So we have to distinguish Uh, These objects that were retrieved from the field, what particular type of property ownership do they belong to from the community where it was taken? Because if it was just a a personal property of a certain family, then maybe it is the uh, consent of the descendants of that family. Uh, Whether they will allow na yung Pilipino to continue holding that particular item or now owning that particular item and not necessarily consult everyone in the entire ethnic group. So again, uh, sometimes there's an over-romantization that indigenous peoples always have a concept of communal ownership of properties. I think we have to uh, distinguish uh, different ones. For example, certain musical instruments, of course, they're very personal to the maker of that uh, musical instrument or the one to whom that musical instrument was gifted to, but not necessarily, ah, this is owned by the entire Tingian tribe uh, because uh, of course, that belongs to a different category of ownership. So these are my thoughts right now. I, uh, maybe in the second or third uh, portions on how to move forward, we could discuss about uh, steps that need to be taken. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much uh, Dr. Castro and personally I would like to hear some of the oral accounts (laughs) of our professors in anthropology on the history of the collection and their involvement in Panamin. So I would like to have a chat with you one of these days. (laughs) Um, Dr. Castro thankfully brought issues on navigating the different types of ownerships in communities and emphasized Uh, how communities are not homogenous. And so um, this is something that we need to take note of for those of you here who are in the field of uh, museum studies, maybe you have your own community museum, or uh, you are working on a collection in your own local. uh, you also mentioned that uh, the importance of uh, reflecting, reflecting on our role in society, and and um, especially for Nayo Filipino, which has a shaded past, as you mentioned. Uh, just for the benefit of everybody, um, we gave a cross-section of the collection to our panelists before this talk. We did not give the whole uh, inventory because there are quite a lot. There are... Uh, um, thousands no, of objects in the collection. So what we did was just to sample, uh, to do, a, I call it a Noah's Ark, no, to sample the collection, have a few objects here and there uh, according to their typologies as they appear in the current inventory uh, that we have. Um, I'd like to uh, hear from Patricia Panganiban just for the benefit of everybody. Maybe Patricia, you can tell us uh, what objects do we have in the collection, and what's the state of the collection now? What's the state of the inventory when you first joined Ayong Filipino? Hi,
7: everyone. Um, so, uh, part of our so, as we mentioned earlier um, in in the slides, we have around um, two thousand seven hundred artifacts. Um, further. Uh, divided into uh, the category. So the categories that we have listed are based on the previous inventories of the Philippine Museum of Ethnology, as was listed before. So we have textiles, um, agricultural weaving uh, implements, musical instruments, um, personal ornaments, ritual items, hunting and warfare, baskets, domestic items, and um, personal ornaments. So overall I think out of the items we um, that we've shown before was um, I think we showed the the cross- section that we've shown we showed the um, the panelists that's just only like a small part of the collection and actually what we showed are things that we actually have more information on. So when, when Dr. Castro was talking about how like our, 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 our information was lacking and was vague that we don't have like the specific subgroups of the, the different ethno-linguistic groups, actually probably less than 50% of our artifacts actually have anything identified. A lot of them actually don't have anything written other than the number, <laughs> the Cisha numbers so, and like um, the, the type, the category. So, um, yeah, so the state that they were in, um, (laughs) so when we came into Clark, um, around December, I remember, um, a lot of the artifacts have been in storage since Clark has had been in renovation for a few, for a year or so. And, um, most of the artifacts were in storage, uh, and, um, The state of preservation was, um, they're not really that well preserved um, currently. Um, We're trying to remedy that now while we're trying to um, reassess the inventory um, as we're going along. But uh, definitely a lot of the items are a little bit um, not that preserved (laughs) that well, unfortunately, over time. Again, I don't know exactly how it was handled before um, we came in, but, but like in terms of inventory, we, we haven't found like previous inventories or like complete inventories as well as um, sort of like any other additional papers, like documentation of like where these artifacts come from over the, la- over the last few years. I think our oldest inventory is actually 2002. So it's pretty recent if you think about the history of the collection, um, starting in the seventies and eighties. I mean, in terms of um, acquisition information, also we don't have that much information. Other, um, we have some items that explicitly state that they're from Panamin. Um Others have donors stipulated, but it's 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 very few. Less than less than twenty percent of the artifacts actually have any donor information listed. So it's that's the challenge that we're facing now. Is sort of like trying to discover the. Um, the history of and the, of the acquisition and the nature of the acquisition of the artifacts. And we've done a bit of the cross-referencing, but it's, it's still a challenge, I think.
0: Yeah. Thank you very much uh, for that, Patricia. And I agree. Uh, just for the benefit of the attendees, some of the recurring names in the inventory are the following. We have deminda Santa Maria. Uh, we also have, uh, I think this was erroneously documented, our bilisis. And our bilisis is marked as uh, vendor. That's the exact term in the inventory. There's another recurring name, bilosis. Bilosis is marked anti-collector in the, in the inventory. We have another recurring name, Regalado y Reto Jose. In the old inventory, when we first encountered here. And last but not the least, uh, um, just, just another uh, recurring name, we have A. Madale. And then uh, the indicator there, donor of Rinti Maranao bracelet. Um, as, as we said, a lot of the uh, items that you find in the inventory just names particular ethno linguistic groups without really uh, uh, indicating which community or which area they were from now so aside from this uh, some of the recurring uh, items in the inventory we have panamin multiple times and then we also have acquisition acquisition values written in the inventory but uh, most of these were left blank so the nature of the acquisitions uh, we are trying to find out uh, how much of these were bought, donated, because an acquisition price, um, there, not many would have acquisition price, prices on them, and some of them are uh, left blank. And also, uh, when, we, when we encountered the collection, uh, yes, that's Abdullah Madale. Um, when we encountered the collection in, in uh, December 2019, some of the items were already missing. Um, some were some were unaccounted for. Yes. So, so I see um people in the chat box giving their inputs. Thank you very much. Yes, Abdullah Medale. Uh, the bylysis um, uh, entry there. Now believe that's uh very by losses. Um, but we need to verify, of course. So um that's it more or less now for the benefit of the public. That's the information that we have right now. So Thank you very much for the inputs. Uh, I'd like to express my gratitude to the panelists. Perhaps we can move on to question number two. Question number two is, how can museums engage the public and produce critical dialogues about the collection? So can we start again uh, unless, uh, can we start with uh, Vinci Cueza once again?
2: Yeah, um, before I answer the second question, um, is it possible for me to uh, react to to the other panelists? Um, Because there is a a feeling that, uh, this this is usual among um, museum practitioners, that um, in in the issues of repatriation, you know, um, there's a feeling that the communities will not be able to uh, preserve or to um, take care of the objects. Um I'd like to share. I think um if you let me can I share a a, a picture? Sure, um, sure. I've been working with the, um a family in Lake Cebu, uh, Barangay Klubi in, in Lake Cebu. And this particular family, they sorry. Is it sharing now? No. Okay. So um, I'm showing up a picture. This is the Gono Temple. Um, below is a kindergarten, and it's really it's quite interesting how this came about because they they have um, um, an organization of women weavers. You know, tinalak weavers. So these tinalak weavers had a problem because they've organized themselves. So in the mornings and in the afternoons they are weaving. So they have a problem on how to take care of their children because they're busy weaving. So they said, okay, let's build a kindergarten. This is all by themselves. Um, The decisions are made by these women. So they asked for solicitations. The building was constructed. The design was by them. This was designed by them. Um, Below is a kindergarten and upstairs you will see it's a community museum. It started with a collection of a certain family, all gongs. So you see here, um, these are betel nut cases and some singkil, um mga foot um, ornament. No? And um, so what happens is, because there is now a collection of this particular family, all the other families in the village all pitched in. So mas dumami ang nasa collection nila. But what's really interesting in this, particular um, community museum is. Um, They're not in glasses, they're not in boxes, because the kindergarten downstairs, the kindergarten students would go up to the museum and use these objects. They play with these objects because playing is a form of learning for them. So they touch it and they use it. And these are actually brought down um, these gongs, they are they're brought down whenever there are ceremonies, there are special occasions in the community, and so the real intent and the real meaning of these objects are brought back to life. Kumbaga, uh, this is this is um, a hall in that um, upstairs museum. This is um, all the traditional tinalak, um, tinalak designs. And the Tinalak weavers, the women weavers in that association, they would go to this, um, to this upstairs museum and check the, the patterns. No? So, ginagamit nila ulit ang patterns to recreate old textiles. So this is um, an example of when those gongs are brought down and used for the purpose that they were actually created. No? So, um, there are communities that are ready, that are ready to take care of this, take care of these um, objects and to use them again for the purpose that they were created. You know? But to answer um, to answer your the question on how to engage the public and produce critical dialogues about the collection, um, we're now online. Um, even this umpukan is online, so. I think because of this COVID situation, this pandemic, uh, many of our um, activities will be online. So I think platforms that the Nayon Filipino Foundation can engage the public in would be in online platforms like um, like this umpukan, webinar sessions no, with specific topics on the history of your collection, but also social media. So information in, in info uh, materials that you can post. So there's also a comment or a feedback mechanisms of social med- of the social media, so that you can have social engagement and participation from from your audience, um, or also followers, but also um, a website, uh, a good website for news or also for uploading of knowledge products or other IEC materials for public awareness. There are also online materials on videos. So you can pair um, objects with um, videos videos of how the gong was actually used, how those uh, musical instruments were used or were produced. Also infographics, news and feature articles that you can um, post on your websites. But ultimately, um, my hope is engaging means you're raising the awareness um, on the plight or the injustices that's been committed or still being committed to indigenous peoples here in Mindanao, especially. Many are still victims of war, many are still victims of um, um, displacements here in Mindanao, ang taas ng displacement here in, in the island. And from this course, no, um, we move hopefully to collective action.
0: Thank you, Vinci. You raise an important point here, not just uh, the museum as a platform for uh, collections and exhibition, but uh, the museum as a platform for uh, healing, Um, especially now that a lot of communities in Mindanao are still facing systemic oppression, as you mentioned. Um, We would love to link with communities. I think this will be crucial in uh, the way we co-produce knowledge with with the communities and to um, have a better sense of the collection and uh, to create narratives on the objects of the collection that we have. So I'd also like to hear from Tenten Mina.
3: Thank you. Um, well first I'd like to say that that was a great example that Vinci showed of a community museum because I think that there really is a lot of um, possibility for direct engagement, of course, when your uh, your stewards of objects are also the people who really use the material as well. Um, regards to engaging the public and um, creating dialogue about maybe the nine Filipino Foundation's collection, um, you can approach it, I think, from a two-pronged uh, approach. Um, of course, you can directly engage, first and foremost, with people who are deemed as specialists, perhaps, because um, I think in some ways, they're actually easier to contact coming from an area like Manila. But it's also so much more meaningful if you can also crowdsource information directly coming from, again, the people that produced this material to begin with. So I, an interesting example of this, I think, is what they're doing with the Field Museum in Chicago. Um, so they have their, the what they call the co-curation initiative, where the Philippine collections which were accumulated, or collected rather, uh, from the Philippines by Faye Cooper Cole and other museum directors in the early American colonial period. and a a large problem that a lot of institutions face that we don't really talk about is dissociation. Um, So it's one of the major challenges for um, cultural institutions where, again, you have a loss of information as time, uh, the people who are in charge of the care and the study of the collection also change. And a lot of information is lost because not everything is really written down. So what they've been doing since the, I think the first time we heard of the digital co-curation initiative of the Field Museum was circa early 2012, 2011, around that time. So what they've been doing is they've been trying to crowdsource information from the Filipinos, first in the US and of course, uh, internationally also, if anyone can share stories that they know are related to the collections that are in the Field Museum's uh, holdings. So what the Nine Filipino Foundation is doing by first and foremost, of course, trying to sort through your records is the most important step because for people to know what you have, you first have to put it out there. So um, yeah, I guess that's what I'd like to say at this point. And yes, of course, digital platforms are very much necessary for us to be able to, of course, start these initiatives as well and reach out.
0: Thank you. Uh, Excellent examples from Ten Ten and uh, Vinci as well on uh, communities who are ready. Uh, I'd also like to hear from Dr. Guerra. Oh, Dr. Guerra, your audio is on
5: mute. Okay, um, I have uh, one or three slides actually to, um, if I may share. Sure. Uh, um, well, this is, you know, um, I think when you look into a collection which does not have much knowledge, it's like really doing an archeology span again um, of, of uh, so you have degree. Uh, the, so there's a method um, which is, you know, uh, this is really archaeology in, in its nature, but it uses ethnographic um, um, uh, method. Not so. What happens is the collections that you have, for example, which does not have uh, so much, can actually be brought back, as pointed out by Miss Mina earlier, no, brought back into the community and let the community. Um, you know, uh, ask the community, what is this, um, you know, what what is this uh, material? So then they would have the chance to be part of um, reconstructing the history. Uh, they might, you know, especially when the collection comes from a small community, they will be able to remember someone. And you know, you this is where um, methods in science uh, is used so that you can triangulate the information. So what happens is you will have um, a variety of, um, observe human activities and material remains, then it is able to generate uh, your data, which you can use for inferences. Um, So that uh, I think uh, 50, well, if you started 1971, it's around 50, 60 years, 50 years, so there should be people who would believe, or grandchildren of people, and this is very important. Now, why do I, why am I so passionate about this? It's because, you know, when you work in, in the work that I've done with museums, sometimes the Uh, what you have, uh, the the collection is not well documented. Now, what are you going to do with those? You cannot also just throw it away. I mean, you know, so um, what we did with some was to really go back and there are very interesting uh, insights uh, that we get. So what happens is um, you have an artifact and you link it to the society who produces it or may have similar, uh, and then um, do the inference from there. Now, second, um, I think, what we have is um, i think the Sugbu chinese uh, heritage museum in terms of engage engaging the public um, for a very long time you know museums um, are quite um, a space no di ba? there's a time in museums na parang elite lang pag educated ka po, di ka sa museum or you can understand so there was this no so um, a few years ago uh, we wanted to make the museum more accessible no, to the public so in cebu what we did was um, to do a design an event, it's a cultural event called Kabi sa Kabilin, which um, was really um, not a, you know, it was a, uh, it's, it's a spiritual uh, grandparents or actually the Langinach, the Long Night of Museums in, in Europe, who were also trying to bring back the public into into engaging with being interested in the museums at a time when, you know, with the reunification of Germany, there was not enough money to generate. So they need to, they need to um, entice the public back now. But what happens is for uh, like, for example, a space like Cebu, um, where it has become a center of trade. um, It has, um, you know, its population uh, grew by leaps and bounds that Uh, So what happens is, but uh, what do we want to do? Uh, A museum as a center for, you know, as a vehicle for change, or a vehicle for understanding, a vehicle for connection. So what we did was to open the museum. There's an event uh, in which people can come to the museum, um, especially at night in a relaxed manner. Now, um, for uh, here, uh, when we did Subu Chinese, when it was first opened, um, there was also a lot uh, you know uh, people were quite excited it was a very small community you know people of one million but we were still really small um in so what happens was um for people to gain you know to gain their participation and to get their stories uh even when the museum was that, done it was still under construction but of course safe for people to enter that's very important was we opened uh, the grand lobby just to give them an idea and for them to be at home in the in the museum. So what? Then of course that. Um, oh, sorry. This was the. You know, this is what it is uh, today. And then of course um, that artifact. Why? Um, Will that a re, um, recreation? You know, a replica of a junk. And uh, for us, it is not just an artifact. Um, a lot of people say, okay, that's just a junk. But no, it's it's for us. It's when you enter the museum, this is for you um, as a part of. The community, or as a visitor to the, as a guest to the museum, you're part of the journey that this museum will take. So they are uh, being engaged, no, in 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 how we go about um, our collection. So I think um, in 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 engaging the public, it's very important that they can, um, they, you know, their, the language used has to be a language that they can understand, um, and um And uh, what happens is today, especially with, um, with, you know, with uh, COVID-19, you know, it has accelerated the presence or the connectivity of people via the internet or via social media. So I'd I'd like, well, you know, it's a very bad situation we are in, but a lot of people are now moving into um, looking at collections um, in a certain museum or museums have become, in fact, accessible because of... uh, you know, because of uh, COVID-19 and, and they are making uh, materials now. I think that's what um, I have.
0: Thank you, Dr. Guerra, for these uh, concrete strategies that you shared on uh, the SCHMS as a vehicle for connecting to a wider spectrum of uh, the community uh, related to um, theories in, in participation in museums and co-creation and digital engagement. So I'd like to hear also from Dr. Buen Consejo. Can you share some of your experiences in the ethnomusicology uh, department in UP?
4: I guess I will just respond to what Vinci and Dr. Tenten had said earlier, uh, because both solu- both are solutions, like Vinci talks about the repatri- repatriation and then the, the re-socialization of these objects in the modern community, uh, you know, the here and now of the communities that still find those objects meaningful because now it's it's tied into kindergarten activity, which is uh, 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 a very good uh, you know, uh, means. And then this idea of co curation of the um, Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago, I actually looked at it because I'm aware of that co curation because the one, one of the facilitators used to be our fellows, one of our fellows. I mean, he was writing his dissertation uh, in the College of Music, uh, Dr. Neil Mathern. So he's one, I saw his picture there. Recently, but I noticed that the co-curation—I think it's not. Uh, there are a, there are only a few participants, and the, the I think um, the announcement, the events. Uh, I actually uh, browse the co-curating activity, you know, related to the ten thousand objects, uh, and, and, and people cannot does not have a memory of this object because I think. Uh, there's some kind of a dissociation. What the co- Filipino American communities are giving the uh, to the field museum are the lowland uh, material culture, you know, like uh, a t shirt from UP and all this stuff. So I was just quite shocked between uh, the disassociation between those who can remember. Uh, it, uh, it's a complex story, but it might be that those who were able to access travel and migrate to America are also the ones who are, uh, who do not share that uh, the indigenous uh, cultures. But I, I, I'm not sure how it happened. I can ask Dr. Neil Mather. So uh, uh, co-curating, uh, it's, it, I think it's the way to go because the, that's the only form by which there will be a shared space. And then there's interaction, there's dialogue. Uh, there's, um, you know, it fosters this critical thinking about, you know, this, um, the issue of, um, you know, then the stories that uh, that will bind those objects. Uh, you know, uh, whose stories are we really? Uh, uh, I think the uh, Niyom know, has to support the stories because that's the only means by which there's life to the objects, rather than presenting them, uh, 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 you know, like physically without really knowing the context, the ethnographic context by which those objects have significances. You know, so. Uh, So I I did not add anything, I just reinforced uh, two possible solutions by which um, Nayong Filipino Filipino Foundation can go forward, you know, Uh, this would be the question, uh, the number, uh, the second question that uh, Dr. Bukiri had been uh, uh, requesting us to share an opinion.
0: Thank you, uh, Dr. Buen Consejo. you raised really important points on uh, collective memory and how uh, the public resonates with certain objects uh, that are displayed in museums. Last but not the least, I would like to hear from Dr. Castro. Uh,
6: of course, the National, uh, National, Nahiyong Pilipino Foundation has uh, multiple publics. I don't know if uh, you have already done a stakeholder mapping of who your stakeholders are and what their interests are. So their interests will vary. So the interests of museum goers, probably for entertainment, for art appreciation, will differ from students who want to learn something based on a requirement in their course, uh, different from those of museum practitioners, uh, including uh, scientists, technicians, Etc. And uh, communities. Now, talking about communities, you have already identified from which communities most of your artifacts have come from, and there would be a means to engage with these communities since we don't know the exact name of the village. So we throw a wider net uh, in in these areas and also do some research on where uh, Panamin stations were based in the past, in what areas or villages they conducted research. So it's a two-way process. Uh, One is because you have a research arm, uh, doing that research on the history of of your museum, but also uh, engaging with uh, academic institutions, within this, uh, that cater to these communities. So for example, when I was doing my dissertation in Kalinga, I have encountered the name of Panamin several times. But during that time, I was not interested in uh, material culture or uh, artifacts that were retrieved from Kalinga. So I tended to brush that information aside. I focused more on political systems and ethnicity issues. So uh, those who are in the field can be tapped by asking them uh, from your data in the field, what have you learned about the role of the Panamin before or later the uh, Nayong Pilipino Museum then uh, in your areas so that we could uh, see an interface of information on Uh, understanding the present collection of the uh, Nayong Pilipino. So uh, engaging with the communities could be done in many ways. Uh, You could go to the community itself. You could uh, bring community members into your museum. uh, You could co-curate. You could co-research because many among the public think that uh, the role of the museum is only in terms of exhibition and they are not familiar that actually exhibition is just a small portion of the task of a museum. There's a bigger uh, uh, function of researching and taking care of these uh, artifacts. So uh, doing joint researches, whether with academic institutions or with communities themselves, or both, uh, is something that can be done as part of engaging the public.
0: Thank you very much for these insights, uh, Dr. Castro. Certainly, these recommendations that we have from our panel of experts, such as stakeholder mapping, um, the need to go back to the field, hopefully when the pandemic's over, something I'm missing right now, and the need for joint researches, certainly these go into checklists and the planning of the programs and projects of the Nayong Filipino Foundation. Um, we are down to our last um, general question. And um, it's if it's okay for the panelists to extend a bit, we would like to extend a bit because sayang yung opportunity and we would like to hear uh, their recommendations also would like to entertain questions from our attendees. So for our last uh, question, uh, it's closely related to the second question actually, but I think this has to do with very specific uh, tactics that we can employ in the Nayon Pilipino Foundation. And this is it. How can virtual museums support the relations that link objects in a collection to persons and society? So we are now planning a, we are now thinking of having um, virtual platforms for the Nayon Pilipino Foundation alongside, as we go through uh, the research process. So that's what we want to ask our panelists. Can, can I start with
2: Vinci? Um, I think COVID-19 will have a long and lasting effect on the forms and functions of museums and other cultural institutions. This, I think we have to accept. But in virtual museums, uh, Nine Filipino Foundation is planning to have a virtual museum I think we have to prepare for the huge loss of the actual experience of going to the museum physically. You actually lose the actual experience of actually seeing the object, experiencing, and also experiencing the museum space. You lost this. You will lose. You will lose. Actually, lose some um, things that are required no para full experience of the museum. Digital museums can provide access to all types of collections and con- and content, yet we have to go back to the purpose of the virtual museum in the first place, of the Nayang Pilipina Foundation. Is it for entertainment, for education? Because the museum experience should still be anchored on the purpose of the museum. And also the cognitive ability, I think, and the learning style of the spectator, who's your, sabi um, at the stakeholders, no? The, what are the learning styles of the spectators. We also have to be aware of the public's motivation to visit a virtual museum or discover an online museum. Is it something that's um, new? Um, I've been to, um, if you check Google, um, Google Arts and Culture, it's an app. Um, there are different museums from, from all over the world. So, what is new here in the virtual museum of the Nayong Pilipino? So, these are questions we have to answer. Um, we also now have to consider how long is the, how long will the attention span of the public be? You no, know? because like for me, when I'm browsing the um, what is the Google Arts and Culture app, it would take you around, so you go to ten minutes to browse, and that's it. The experience is. You are just focused on a computer screen or cell phone. So I think the NPF should have strategies to maintain the attention of the visitor. How do you create interactivity? How, how do you create this interactivity in digital tours? Could it be music or could it be videos you No know, linked to the um, object? Um, but in virtual tours, if you will have virtual tours, it is no longer about going from point A to point B, like in a museum, no? from from here to there, no? because a person is definitely affected by various external stimuli. Um, if there's an advertisement while you're watching the virtual tour, then you click on the the advertisement, then you're you're in another browser, no? so ano kana distracted. The visitor circulates within an exhibition according to her or his own preconceptions. May mga preconceptions ang visitor. But the structure of the virtual exhibition should be designed to interact with these preconceptions in order to change or rectify them. Um, the goal of um, museums is to inform, inform and motivate. Those are some learning strategies of museums. But I think for the Filipina Foundation, Given the past of the Nayong Pilipino Foundation, it's more of to motivate, not to to inspire people for for action. Um, The museum, the word museum, comes from um, the Greek, museion, the the seat of the muses. It's the the seat of inspiration. The Nayong Pilipino Foundation Virtual Museum, what do you seek to inspire um, among the visitors? Um, given the shady past you know, of the, the collection. So if ever there will be one narrative for the virtual museum of Nayang Pilipino, it should be the honest telling, the honest telling of the tangled stories of things that are in your collection.
0: Thank you. Uh, Definitely, we will be honest about our past, and (laughs) we'll try our very best to design non-linear experiences for the public. Um, In line with that, I'd also like to hear from Ten Ten.
3: Yes, um, so I'd just like to comment first on um, what Dr. Buenconte. Seho said earlier about the Field Museum because I know that yes they they launched it a few years ago it's a little confusing when you look at their portal I think um, and it seems that there's not much activity but I think that the capacity of that platform is really for them to get information from the, the community potentially but of course that will require a lot of um weeding through a lot of the information that passes, of course, that is passed online. Um, And there have been several uh, encounters where we've had um, representatives from the Field Museum coming back to the Philippines, trying to look for direct um, contacts so that they can also get in touch directly with communities um, throughout the archipelago as well. Now to go back to uh, the third question, which is about, virtual museums or the capacity of virtual museums for engaging the public and creating these connections. Um, As Vinci had said, um, of course, using the internet is in a way uh, a great equalizer for many um, because it allows access where physical boundaries uh, exist. Um, However, it's also important to acknowledge that of course, The access online is very different from your encounter of a physical object Um, because one of the most important values of museum collections is, of course, their ability to allow the viewer a direct um, connection to the past because of the Uh, Well, it's actually manifested in the authenticity of the object and the direct contact with the object which is representative of a specific culture or of a specific period in history. Um, And that is not necessarily translated in online experiences. But what it does offer, of course, is um, a lot of interactivity which you don't have um, in physical spaces because uh, we we cannot We, of course, because of conservation concerns, uh, we also face a lot of challenges in terms of how much access is allowed to visitors, even within a physical museum space. Um, Of course, because we're trying to safeguard objects, we also have to consider lighting, uh, humidity, so on and so forth, and a lot of other technical aspects. Um, But the digital space allows viewers to look at all of these facets um, in different ways because then it's easier for um, online content to focus on, let's say for example, breaking down the physical material. It, It becomes easier because you can really create a subset of what it is you want to discuss with your audience but going back to that it's really important to also really highlight what is it that your audience is most interested in um, as Dr. Castro and as Vinci had also expressed Um, it's going back to uh, understanding who exactly are your stakeholders what are their interests and what are their goals as well when it comes to engaging with um, your programs Um, and with regards to engaging with programs, there are also studies that show that um, for because people are so used to very interactive media and things being very uh, readily available, you can only capture their attention for 15 minutes or so, and then you already have to sort of find ways to pull them back in. So these are some of the challenges um, that come with uh, virtual spaces. But of course it has its own many, many advantages as well. So I'm not sure that's a very specific um, uh, answer with regards to how, it, uh, how you can help or rather how Nayong Pilipino can sort of put that together. Um, but these are just some general experiences that we've, we're also experiencing when it comes to considering our own programming. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Tenten. Uh, Yes, I've seen some posts of Ayala Museum on Minecraft, and I find that very interesting. And also the recent programming that you do in Ayala Museum and the way you engage musicians, it's something that inspires the Na'yung Pilipino Foundation as well. Uh, Speaking of music, I'd like to hear from a musicologist, Dr. Buen Consejo.
4: I think a lot of the basic ideas have been told, you know. I just hope that this virtual museum should be filled with stories. Otherwise, if you just, if what is presented are just disembodied objects, I mean, no one would be interested in those things. So there has to be stories from the culture bearers. You know, we have to let their voices speak through your uh, channel, Uh, uh, you know, speak, even if it's confronting that, that uh that bad thing in the past you know like <laughs> like you know grabbing like theft, you know uh requiring people forcing them to submit you know to power <laughs> give me the object you know i think that has to be confronted uh stories like that i think would make the the the, the objects you know uh exist in a particular particular in very specific time and place you know and then by seeing those critical uh, voices then we begin to appreciate you know um the value of what a museum should be it shouldn't just be a a space for propaganda you know it has to be the people you know their their stories uh because this this heritage is theirs you know unless uh we can convince them to speak you know that it is their heritage i don't know if uh we can go quite uh, radical steps, you know, towards a better, uh, a healthier uh, uh, dialogue, you know. Uh, um, so I didn't say much, but <laughs> it's just this, uh, uh, you know, uh, my contention against, you know, showing objects without the context, you know, but that make them meaningful. Yeah, Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Buen Consejo. Actually, you said a lot. Um, you said something quite meaningful about the need for objects not to be disembodied objects and to fill these virtual platforms with stories. Stories. Uh, co-created narratives given by the community themselves. And you also raise an important point on uh, re-investigating the exhibitionary order and the power dynamics that transpire between museums and communities. And. Um, I am reminded when you were giving these comments. I am reminded by, and I just like the public to know the grave markers that we have in the Nayong Pilipino Foundation collection. So if you go to our Facebook and if you go to our uh, Nayong Pilipino Foundation Instagram account, uh, our project officers can give the uh, can give the links for that. You will find some of these objects that we're having there. You know? so please feel free to comment share so that we can generate more conversations about these objects. We are releasing, for example, the videos on grave markers precisely to solicit comments from the public, not just to entertain. No, definitely not. And not just to um, not to not to entertain. Definitely not to um, just just work on the technical aspects because anyone can work on technical aspects. But research is something that the na Filipino is trying to do right now, and also we want to engage uh, the public. And and have the public comment on these objects that are with us. I'd also like to hear from Dr. Guerra. You are unmuted.
5: Okay. Okay. Um, I think a lot has already been um, said, but I, you know, I'd like to dovetail on what Dr. Bukirin was saying. You Not know, that um, actually the. Those grave markers, know, was something like, um, like was, uh, across my mind was, this is my headstone being put in a museum when it's not supposed to be there, or something like that, no. And and uh, it it pained me when when I saw that. But you know what uh, what, what can you do? But it's a very important artifact that has lost its um, provenance, um, if you will, no. So you know these are, um, so in in this context now. Um, Virtual museums allows us to have accessibility to a collection which normally um, in normal you know in day to day operations of the museum can some can sometimes not be seen you know? uh, but at the same time uh, so it it should be uh, used as a vehicle for interaction um, with the stakeholders now um, this is where stake you know you this is really going to be a a multi layered um, set no because for example if I if as a practitioner, if I look into the needs of today's education, like children, for example, uh, you know our museums could be a very good resource for um, you know um, information. Uh, in fact, coloring coloring books and the like. But uh, the the if you have that as your age group, for example, but how many like to what degree will the platform, the internet platform, be able to support? No, also because of. Uh, Fluctuations of bandwidth and the like, but uh, given that that is um, possible, then um, I think for me I'd like to um, play for you know really working with um, I I I have you know my heart is with the uh, public school um, children, um, especially who will not have access to such um, you know artifacts, and yet this is probably something that's very near to them um, would be uh, I think you know one one age group I'm, I'm really looking into but also at the same time um then i the it has to be done with very good photographs um second is uh, the other one that i'm looking at i'm very egoistic in this context as a researcher you see um i'm looking for example at maps no and the well photographed a map is you can really access them online which uh, will give you details so um i wonder if this is part of your um you know part of your plan to up to make the object available to the public, not only as um, for enjoyment, um, but also for people to have a much clearer picture of that object so that they would be able to also give you feedback um, in that uh, context. No? So, so for me, um, a virtual museum is going to stay here, but I would agree with most that this is not, uh, still not, will not replace um, a physical presence. No? uh you know physically be in a museum so for me it has to be curated such that it becomes a teaser for the people to come to the museums and really see the object um close at hand thank you thank you dr guerra Um,
0: yes on that note i just like everyone to know that we also want virtual platforms to facilitate the feedback mechanism Um, we have the freedom of information bill, of course, and we want uh, a system where the public can easily give feedback on the collection that we have and perhaps um, for the public to participate as we gather uh, information about the objects in our collection. So last but not the least, I would like to hear from Dr. Castro.
6: Um, I think setting up a virtual museum is very welcome uh, right now, uh, now that we have a pandemic, so uh, people could not go to the museums, and uh, museums are closed right now. But even beyond this pandemic, uh, it has an added value. Uh, There's more accessibility for people who could not go to your museum because of transportation difficulties, so they could see your uh, collections virtually. also, uh, Dr. Laya mentioned that they want to be transparent. So this uh, virtual museum gives this transparency. So members of particular communities will see. Ah, so these are where our the artifacts of our forefathers are now located, or ah, so they had those designs before but now we don't produce that anymore. So you could engage these communities virtually. Uh, A third advantage, of course, will uh, for the younger generation, millennials, and those of the generation say, many of them are used to virtual presentations. They're very bored when they go to physically to uh, museums, But they would like to look at uh, uh, things that they find on social media or through virtual museums. So I think it will get the interests of the younger generation. Now, uh, that is just getting the interest, but it doesn't stop from there. I totally agree with uh, all that has been said that this does not replace the physical, actual museum. Now, some issues that have to be reckoned with, uh, one is different stakeholders. How do you do that virtually? Uh, because it's more accessible, you're also more vulnerable to bashing. Oh, why are you displaying that? And why, why not this? You're stereotyping us. Okay, so this, this thing. So uh, uh, make that into consideration. Another issue that may crop up is uh, uh, intellectual property of indigenous people. So for example, if you make available a certain textile and the designs may be just downloaded and copied by somebody else. So how do we prevent this from happening? So what are the things that communities would like to share with other people and what are the things. No, this is our secret. We don't want others to, to find out about it. I, I remember, uh, this is not a virtual museum. I remember uh, this was for Ayala Foundation before, a Filipinas heritage library. Uh, we were sent to Palanan Isabella to do research. And then uh, we did a community validation before bringing back the information to Manila. So the, these are the AGTA. So they said, yes, uh, you got it right. Everything was correct. However, we don't want you to share to the public about our medicinal plants because it is our secret. You got it right, but don't please don't share it. So I think that from the start should have been clearer. What are the things you could share and what you could not share? Uh, unfortunately, because we have problems of, provenance, so we would have to do further research about, uh, so that we could answer these questions.
0: Um, Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Castro. The reminders you gave will be very useful, not just for Nayong Filipino, but for museum practitioners, students of curatorial studies, and those who are also attendees here, who are running their own, uh, for example, heritage houses, community, museums. Um, yes, uh, I agree. No, um, we are. Uh, that was the last question that we have, and I just like to read some of the inputs from our chat box. Uh, Gay. Jalcita suggested here Jabi, the Philippine Textile Council members, will be able to help you with labels for your objects in your collection with no labels. Yes, I agree. I, we hope to get their get their support. And virtual museums could assist in educative process of objects. It's related to what uh, Dr. Castro was saying about community validation. So I don't see much questions from the Q&A box that we have. Uh, I'd like to invite some of my co-panelists, Kate Lim perhaps, or Patricia Panganiban, if you have questions uh, to our panel of experts that you may have. Kate Lim. Kate Lim is uh, heading the Cultural Leadership Institute of the Nayong Pilipino Foundation. A lot of the, the things being mentioned here have to do with cultural rights, cultural sensitivity, and ownership of intellectual property. Kate? afternoon to our panelists and thank you for joining us this afternoon. I, I think I just have uh, one question. So uh, what are the ethics of bringing intangible heritage where these objects are connected to into the museum and how can this be realized in an online platform? Yes, would any of the panelists like to answer that? <clears throat>
6: Uh, maybe I could uh, start. Um, actually, uh, Dr. Consejo mentioned that what is important is the stories. And the stories, of course, belong to intangible things. So the, the artifacts or the material objects are just the vehicles for these stories. So uh, as you uh, keep, as you collect and exhibit artifacts, there should be uh, stories about them. It may be folklore about these artifacts, uh, what they were used, especially for ritual objects. Uh, But the bottom line is, again, if uh, the community from where it came from, if they gave you consent to share these stories to the bigger public, uh, so if we are If we're talking about indigenous communities, so uh, that has to pass through free and prior informed consent, which is quite uh, tedious and problematic, I know. Uh, but what is important, just simply say that community agreed that uh, we would like to share that story to the bigger public. And if they gave you consent, then uh, I think uh, then that's a go. Now the second step will be how these stories will be represented. For example, this is where creative imagination comes into play. You hire an artist to draw a caricature or a comic book. Again, I think you have to go back to the source from where it came from. Uh, Do you agree as to uh, how it looked like? Uh, Because With all good intentions, sometimes the community will say, but we don't look like that. Uh, Because they're not familiar, for example, with artistic uh, license and caricatures. So uh, uh, the the safe way really is uh, every now and then. So it's not a one-time process. Every now and then, you go back to the community or the source.
0: Thank you, Dr. Castro. Uh, would anyone else among our panel of experts like to share?
5: Um, I'd like to share. Just um, um, well, I have always. Um, I'm a big fan of cultural maps um, because essentially, this really gives you. Um, these are already, you know, processed information No, uh, a proper culture map is uh, processed information that you can also use in museums so that what happens is you have all the information there and you also have the, uh, a dialogue already done with the community but I, I don't believe, um, well there's a lot of um, intangible like, you know, rituals for example, no, which is an intangible heritage for rice. Uh, I remember when I did in later, they, they said, um, you know, the informant said, I will allow you to write this down, but you cannot tell the secret of, um, you know, of where we are doing this. So, so you know, in fact, at that point, this was like twenty years ago. So, um, you can give. So, for for me, in that information was saying. <coughs> tell um what you what you um what you have uh, said but you cannot have the so much the details no into that so it's it's kind of uh, difficult so what we ended up was um, explaining uh rice rituals with uh, broad strokes no? so something something um, along these lines which uh, was acceptable to the group that we have uh, responded so that's Thank you, Dr.
0: Guerra. Um, Anyone else among our panel of experts who would like to share?
3: Um, Hi, yeah, I think I'd just like to comment that, again, it goes back to uh, what was said earlier about the importance of community validation. Um, And I think this is something that's also been stressed in a lot of recent online discussions with uh, members of the different indigenous communities that there is a lot of information um, that is uh, accessible through written reports, um, publications, but there is still a lot more information about um, rituals which are more dear to the community that they don't want to be just out there um, for very specific reasons. So. Um, I suppose it, it really depends on how you'd want to approach the particular project you're doing if you want to maybe create a framework first and then present it to them and then see if it's viable or, um, or if there are other methods that you'd like to employ for your different programs.
0: Thank you, Tenten. Um, Dr. Buen Consejo and Vinci, would you like to share? Dr. Buen Consejo?
2: And Laia, uh, may I share?
1: Okay, sure.
2: Yeah, um, it has been pointed out already. It will be a tedious process, but I'd like to share um, from, from experience, no? um, especially if you're dealing with oral narratives. These are intangibles, one, one of those intangibles. Um, especially if you're dealing with oral narratives, the nature of oral narratives really are, um, they change. Especially if there, there will be many versions of an oral narrative, of a story. And once you write them down, they're already there. It's set. So it will not change anymore because you've written them down already. But oral narratives, if you have actually go to the communities, um, for example, in Lake Cebu, um, I've been asking the story of Bo Henwu, um, one of their um, heroes in in... In their uh, mythology, but there will be many many variations. Like she's the uh, she went to heaven. Um, others she became the lake of Cebu, but there will be many variations. And um, actually, I, I just had um, a conversation with someone who used um, a written um, account that I had in my thesis. So with with um, um so he asked if he can. Um, Use it for his youtube uh, what they call this youtube channel now, so gu story in 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 YouTube and then there was one um one Tiboli who actually commented that 's not the version that's not the right version, but actually that version came from a certain person whose grandmother passed it down to her, so there will be many versions of an oral narrative so um, that's why um the validation is very important. There's another story, the story of Fue and Sidekwe. This is now um, this is a uh, Bla'an um, community. But this is a project for the SMI. I know it's a mining mining company. But it was a tedious process where they had to collect a single story of Fiwe and Sidekwe, and then they had to go there to the community for several sessions to ask for the story itself to us to validate the translation, but also the illustration of the, the story. So they had to check if um, in the illustration, it, it was the proper attire for a datu, for a goddess or... Um, so that will be the process that um, you'll be undertaking.
0: Thank you, Vinci. Uh, Dr. Buen Consejo, would you like to share anything? I, Dr. Buen Consejo, nag uh, stop video po kayo Ayun. I think you will need to unmute.
4: Actually, uh, basic ideas have been said already, so I cannot add more. I mean, as Vinci said, it becomes more very tedious. And indeed, storytelling is uh, uh, is contingent, you know, to the circumstances of performing them. So, uh, and, but yet we, we have to. Uh, Really, the validation is important. I just like to uh, affirm that because uh, there's no problem with that, and in fact, that's the that is the way to go unless we go back to the old sin, you know, of <laughs> again muting uh, our our um, our research associates. So I, I have nothing to add, Doctor. Uh-huh.
0: Thank you Dr. Buen Consejo. Uh, there's a question here, if there are ongoing projects by young emerging creative groups and teams that are aligned with this topic, would it be possible to approach na Filipino Pilipino Foundation that these groups, definitely, we would love to have more, uh, we would love to love to involve the youth more actually uh, for these ongoing projects. Uh, This Umpukan Sanayon, No Object Unturned, is only the first of our series. We have been asking several uh, specialists from uh, the field of museum curatorial studies, ethnomusicology, um, anthropology, Different fields to ensure that it will be multi-sectoral and transdisciplinary. It's just that they were some of those we uh, we approached were unavailable this afternoon, uh, and for that we are really thankful for the panelists who made time and who allowed us to extend and and for us to hear their insights. Definitely, the insights that we have uh, this afternoon will be very helpful not just to the nayong Filipino but a lot of practitioners who are attending with us in this in this session. Uh, as to the next steps forward, uh, we are constructing a fact sheet, actually, of the, not just the Nayong Pilipino collections, but Nayong Pilipino itself. And we will be releasing that fact sheet for the public uh, to see um, within the week, actually. First things we are confronting is the Panamin collection, just to let you know and just to answer the question of uh, Gino, who asked about uh, ongoing projects. So we are trying to see uh, the how, how these objects, the nature, the nature and modalities of acquisition during this time in the 1970s. And we are trying to uh, get the public also to confront the ideology behind Panamin and we feel that it is very timely since we are also celebrating IPRA 23 and not just museums and galleries month. So with that I'd like to thank the panelists for attending and also the attendees. Rest assured that we will be giving certificates for those who have uh, completed uh, the Nayong Pilipino Foundation And we just like you to answer a survey for evaluation purposes. Uh, Certainly, the points that were raised this afternoon were very important to us and the attendees here who are, a lot of them are practitioners. Some of them include the role of museums and the need to go beyond the exhibitionary order uh, and for museums to um, amplify uh, and and make more eligible its role as a supporter, enabler, advocate, motivator, catalyst, among many other roles. Uh, The need for partnerships and co-production, the possibility of co-curation and multi-layering of knowledge, definitely we will be doing that for the next few months. And as soon as a vaccine is available, we will definitely go back to the field, right? Kate and Patricia, we will go to the field. (laughs) And the need also to design uh, interactivity, that it's not all about uh, the technical aspects. It's not all about technology. You know? So I just like to raise that because a lot of the budgeting uh, that we have sometimes for museums goes to uh, technological aspects, you know? uh, the um, virtual um, platforms and, and computers in museums. You know? And the Nayum Pilipino would not. Uh, be putting it's re- would be would be investing on research really and stimulating conversations, genuine conversations, and and uh, gathering narratives and seeking the validation of communities on what kinds of narratives are are um, would they be comfortable about sharing? Definitely before we put this out in virtual platforms, and also. Um, before we leave, you know the importance of stories of culture bearers and how objects should not be disembodied objects, but should only be a medium for interaction and uh, exchanges. And in keeping also with the Na'yung Pilipina Foundation values, which is participatory and inclusive. Uh, so with that, I just like to sh- I just like to thank again everyone uh, from the panelists to my colleagues to all the attendees who are here, and a pleasant afternoon to everyone. Thank you.